Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check us out online at blisterreview.com. Today on the podcast, we're talking about the 24-year-old Czech climber Adam Andra's groundbreaking or ceiling-shattering ascent of the 150-foot route in Flatanger, Norway, that Andra named Project Hard. Project Hard is so hard that it took Andra about four years of work to send it, and it's a route that's so hard that Andra believes it deserves the creation of an entirely new, more difficult grade than currently exists, 9C or 515D. This is mind-blowing and awesome and worthy of debate. And this debate is made even more interesting when you consider that there are currently only three routes in the world that have a rating of 515C. But we are all already okay with moving on to 515D? So I talked to our climbing editor, Dave Alley, about Andra's Send, this business of creating new and higher grades, and whether we think we'll see Andra, or anyone else, now push to create the new unicorn grade of 516. We then transition from talking about climbing grades to talking with our bike editor, Noah Bodman, about this weekend's World Cup downhill races in Australia. Noah and I talk about two of the greatest DH riders of all time squaring off this weekend, Greg Minar versus Aaron Gwynn. Then we start placing a couple of thousand dollar bets on who we think will win both the men's and women's races. And Noah explains why he isn't actually putting his money on any of the three all-time greats competing this weekend, Minar or Gwyn or Rachel Atherton. From all-time climbing routes to all-time bike riders, this has been a week of very interesting debates, and I think you'll enjoy the conversations. Before we get started, I just want to quickly remind you that you can not only stream the Blister podcast on the Blister website, you can also subscribe to the Blister podcast on your phone in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and be notified each time we drop a new episode. So go subscribe, and if you are enjoying these podcasts, we'd be very grateful if you'd take a minute in iTunes and drop us a quick rating and review. And now, let's get to my conversation with our climbing editor, Dave Alley, and our bike editor, Noah Bodman. So Dave, there was some pretty big news this week. Um, Adam Andra just did something. What exactly did he just do? So Adam Andra sent his project in Norway and proposed for the project the grade 9C or 15D in the American system. And so this is really significant to the climbing world because this makes this the first route ever to be sent and then receive a grade um, of 9C or, or 15D. And yeah, so how like how many 15Cs are there at this point? That's a really good question, actually. Um, I don't know precisely. I would say certainly two. Uh, yeah. I think Adam sent uh, the first 9B plus or 15C at in the same cave, the Flatanger Cave in Norway. Um, and that's a route called Change that he sent shortly before going into that um, uh not really like competitive stretch, but where he and Chris Sharmore were both kind of, you know, taking send burns on um, the Dura Dura project. Yep. And then uh, I think that was the second nine, uh, 15C to be sent. 
And I don't know if there's been a third or, or if he if he just opened up this project and then, you know, in doing so took a, a step forward before there were many other nine or uh, 15 C's on board. Yeah. So so just for those who don't know, maybe there were two. Well, we know of two, possibly right. a third that we're a third that we're forgetting. Right. Uh, grades at 15 C and Andre just went ahead and perhaps established 15 D. Right, right. And and so that's like, you know, that that does get into um, the realm of, you know, how I guess verification of this stuff. Like, how do you how do you know that that's the case? Um, I do feel like climbing has moved a little bit away from a lot of the skepticism that had, um, you know, occurred occurred in the past where people would say, yeah, is it really or. Um, did you actually make the summit or where's your proof or, or that kind of thing? Yeah. At levels these days, you know, maybe this is a, a, I don't know if this is a leading indicator or lagging indicator of climbing, entering more of the mainstream, but it seems like there's, um, there's less skepticism at large, I think, relative to these accomplishments these days. And so, you, you think that's a true generalization? Like there's just as a general rule, there's less skepticism about this stuff or is Maybe. it, or is it that like, we're talking about Adam Andra? Well, it's both, I would say, you know, and I think that like maybe that explains, you know, the phenomenon of, of people being slightly less skeptical. You know, there's, there's clearly these, um, phenomenally talented, extremely strong young climbers out there who have, you know, maybe let's just, you know, restrict this conversation to the sport climbing world for the moment, you know, have really gone through and, um, in sort of the way that Chris Sharman did back in his day, made really fast repeats of a lot of the world's hardest routes. And then, you know, then they open up new routes that they claim are harder. And, you know, there's not that many other people who can climb at that grade. And so it almost is like a burden of proof thing. You know, I think if you, if Adam Andre wants to say that this is 15 D and he's like, well, guys, I've sent two of the other routes at the previous grade and I've done this and it's way harder it's, it's kind of hard to argue with that. Right. Yep. And, you know, there just doesn't seem to be, um, this culture where climbers as personalities are particularly interested into getting into these like dramatic war of words with each other over social media about like, you know, did you, or did you not, or is this really that hard or blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and just, you know, also to your point, people like Adam Andra or Alex Magos or, you know, Ashima or whomever, it, you know, they are just that strong and they're that good. And so, you know, it's, it's easy to take them at their word. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that was one of the things that I've been sitting in back watching, um, since this news broke, I mean, Chris Sharma was really, really quick, uh, to congratulate Andra. So certainly, (laughs) certainly Sharma wasn't, uh, you know, posing any bouts of skepticism, uh, with his good friend, Adam Andra, um, but I was just curious to see if we might see any kind of pushback. Um, and, and if we've seen it, I've, I've missed it. I, I haven't seen it. Yeah, I, you know, I really haven't either. And it's been kind of a while since I feel like I heard about someone sending a route like that. And then there was somebody saying, absolutely not. This is garbage. Yep. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe part of it just has to do with like, um, you know, what what is there to be gained from calling out Adam Andre and being like, your project's not that hard. That's bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He would be more than happy to turn around and be like, well, rope in motherfucker and send this, you know? Yep. Yep. But, um, 
Yeah, it's it's good no. to be it's good to be king. Yeah, um, totally. And yeah, and the thing is, I don't know. You know, that doesn't seem. And maybe this this aspect of it is is presumed certainly and possibly a little cynical. But you know, I don't I don't know that um, that that's beneficial to you know the athletes involved to kind of you know be doing that with each other. I mean, you know, they 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 live in a very self promotional world in a way. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that there's like a huge benefit to you as a sponsored athlete to like render yourself kind of unlikable, you yeah. know, yeah. by just digging into these fights unnecessarily with, with everybody else in your small tight knit community. Yeah. So what, what else can we say about this route project hard? Um, it's so funny because so many climbing routes have these just amazing poetic names and they're, they're so interesting. And <laughs> here we're just like project hard. Um, I know. I know. so it's one like thing is a thing, right? Like that's like hard, hard, hard right? Hard, hard. Dura is the best name ever though. I love that. Um, I, so I, for the, for poetry points, I'm, I'm a much bigger fan of Dura Dura, but, um, what one, how long was Andra, working this route? And then two, can you speak to what were some of the interesting elements of this route other than like, other than saying it's just insanely stupid hard with tiny holds. Talk to me more about how long he was working it and some of the specifics or details of the route. No, that's a good question actually. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really have much data on how long he was working the route. I think a lot of that stuff maybe doesn't, um, you know, bubble up to the surface at least, uh, so much in, in the initial reporting and stuff. And, and probably I think that people like to keep their projects kind of mum until they're, you know, getting close on them and that kind of thing. But, um, as for the specifics of the route, you know, that's one of the more interesting, um, parts about this. And so the route, yeah, obviously anything at that grade, you can just say, Oh, this is just nails hard and, and blah, blah, blah. But, um, to, you know, to, to raise a really interesting aspect of this whole pushing grades and climbing thing, you know, some of these routes, this one's a great example, I think, based on some of the initial footage and photos that you see, um, these routes are oftentimes not like just crimp ladders on successively smaller holds, right? Mm-hmm. Where, um, you know, it's just a raw fitness and body tension kind of thing. You know, the, some of these more elite routes obviously require this incredible amount of power and technique, but they also involve, um, potentially, you know, pushing really weird sequences and, and I guess using very odd beta. And as it pertains to this route, a good example would be that there's like, I think there's sequences in the main boulder problem crux where, you know, he ends up doing this like weird, almost like a figure four, like you would see in ice climbing or dry tooling, I guess, where, um, if you've never heard that term, it's like where you in, in, when you're dry tooling in on a mixed route, if you're hanging from your ice tool and you sort of wrap your leg around your arm, which allows you to kind of like hang in a more elevated position. And so, you know, that's like not a super common, like rock climbing technique, you know? And, um, and that's just, you know, I think that's, that's a really interesting aspect of this route, but also this larger conversation, right? Because, you know, climbing for years now has been like, oh my gosh, you know, these 15A, 15B, like how much harder can these routes get? We must be approaching the limit of what's physically possible, you know? And I know that that's like kind of trite because every sport has that conversation and, you know, every sport obviously has records broken and so forth. But, um, 
you know, climbing obviously keeps seeing these routes push outwards. And I think a lot of the reason why people feel like, oh, we must be getting to the end of the road is that they have a hard time imagining the other ways that climbing can be advanced, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of those ways is fitness, certainly, but one of those ways also is, um, you know, the imaginative creation of outrageous beta or, um, you know, very unlikely sequences to get through a section of rock that might otherwise appear kind of unclimbable. I think that's a, you know that that's probably the most interesting aspect of this uh, of this route. Um, I think is it, it you know as like a unique piece of um, climbing history. This is the, like the worst question because it's like wow you just sent this a couple days ago new grade let's talk about the next grade right uh, right but let's be obnoxious for a second if you had to wager a thousand dollars. Would you say that for the rest of Andre's career, he stays in this 515D land? Or would you expect him to eventually get to the point where we're talking about 516? Um, that's an excellent question. Um, I, I, it's always hard to imagine what that even that looks like. And to be totally honest, it's, it's so academic just because – I don't even know what 515A looks like or, you know, I mean, that stuff is just, it reaches a level of abstraction that's hard to really stand right next to, I think is like a more pedestrian climber. God, I, you know, one of the major things I think that has pushed people like Adam Andra and, you know, other young, super, super strong climbers into this elite zone is this, um, like, uh, re-embracing of, uh, like rigorous training. Uh, and that's, you know, that was obviously, uh, had its heyday back in the past and stuff like that, but there was definitely a time I, I, and I associate this with, um, you know, climbers like Chris Sharma and Dave Graham sort of rising to prominence where, you know, they came onto the scene and totally crushed. And I don't know if this is a conscious thing or not, but it, it certainly seemed to, you know, make a strong case against the need for, um, like gym style training. And the argument being in that case that like nothing prepared, rock climbing is so complex that nothing really prepares you like it, like rock climbing. And so the best way to train is just to go out and climb a lot. And, um, you know, now there's definitely been this return to the idea that you can take a scientific approach to the physical aspects of climbing and then still use time on the rock to train things like the mental aspect or technique or what have you. And that's certainly allowed climbers to get stronger in general. And so, yeah, I guess you imagine um, if we're sort of, uh, you know, I don't know, not that far into how far, how lengthy which you might imagine training can take rock climbing. Yeah. It's to imagine that he doesn't maybe get another grade out of his entire life. Yep. Who knows? You know, I guess you never know. Um, I think my, my, instinct is to just kind of keep in mind that climbing is just such a nascent sport compared to, you know, everything else where there's such diminished returns and things like running or, you know, that kind of thing where, you know, you're, you're just so close to, to a hard limit. Um, but climbing, you know, not that many people do it. It's still pretty recent, especially in the modern sense of like sustained overhanging power sport climbing, that kind of thing. I think it's a fairly modern activity. And so, yeah, you know, I guess, um, I guess I'm optimistic just based on that, that, that yeah. that'll happen. Me too. I mean, I, I think if I had to 
you kind of pussyfooted around your answer, by the way, you wuss. But uh, if I had to bet a thousand of my own money, I'm I'm wagering that that we see he's he's too young, he's too strong. I am wagering we see him attempting five sixteen, unless with the caveat, unless no one unless no one can come along to actually send project hard like right. because then you're starting to move into levels of i mean you get you get the gist but i, I think he's too young he's too strong there are too many there'd be too much interest and attention you know uh too much upside for his sponsors and the rest and i don't even say that cynically i really don't um i i think i think we see a 516 attempt at least out of him uh with the only caveat unless unless nobody can send 515d yeah yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty likely. Um, you know, it's interesting to think about these things in terms of the proposed total grade of the route. Yeah. And then remember how, you know, really subjective that stuff is. I mean, that, that's very much one of those things about which two reasonable people can disagree. Yeah. And so, you know, in, in this, in the case of this route, I think it's broken down in segments into sort of a long-ish stretch of 13 plus opening climbing to this like 10 move V 15 boulder problem. And then I think there's these punctuating rests in between that crux boulder problem. And then a, like a subsequent V 13 and V nine or something like that. So it's these basically like hard, hard climbing, maybe not like super hard for him at this 13 plus level. And then these three really older problems. Right. But then you're sort of in this conversation about, well, Here's 50 feet of 13 plus a V15, a V13, and a V9. Like that, like at plus that plus that plus that equals 515D. You know, yeah. but you're kind of just making that up, sort of, right? Yeah. And you're saying this is harder than those things, and it's a very relative statement. But let's say it's a little bit more hard climbing to open it, or it's like a V15, then a V14, then a V10. You know, what is that? At what point are you going to say that's 16A or is this just really hard for 15D? I don't know. You know, yeah. who knows? Um, but, you know, it's uh, I think it's interesting in, you know, um, in a way that you, I think everybody can relate to the idea of progressing through the grades. And so in that way, it feels sort of natural that the uh, pros would be kind of pushing their bar as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's just weird. It's weird to think about. I mean, that's just so stupid hard. <laughs> well, it's certainly fun. I mean, it, you know, uh, ma- major congratulations to Andra for this send. It's it's so cool. And I mean, you know, we when you and I were talking about Alex Honnold's uh, send a free rider. I mean, there's something similar where where climbing is just so good at providing these like mind blowing. Uh, feats where we really do kind of like wrapping your head around this stuff and, right. and looking at the edge of what's possible. Uh, it's just super fun stuff to do. And, and it's, you know, it's like you feel grateful for those individuals who are doing these things that are getting us talking about and thinking about these things. Pretty fun. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, one last thought on, um, on this general skepticism thing uh, you know, I was just thinking about this, uh, in, in that last point that you made is that I think it, it is, it reflects well on the community at large for people, you know, mostly to just being like, Oh, Hey man, that's awesome. Right. Um, 
instead of saying negative things or maybe doubting things, um, like you were saying earlier, Chris Sharma and everybody else being like, dude, that's super incredible. Like, look what my friend just did. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, that's a, you know, that's a cool culture and, um, it's neat to, you know, to see a sport kind of go through its adolescence in that atmosphere rather than this like very competitive, um, King of the Hill type atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dave, thanks for the conversation and for uh, helping us wrap our heads around uh, this latest news in climbing. And um, I'm going to talk to you later. Sounds good, man. Thanks a lot. Take care. So I just got done talking with our climbing editor, Dave Alley. And now it's time to talk to our mountain bike editor, Noah Bodman, about this upcoming World Cup downhill race uh this weekend um noah how's it going pretty good how are you doing tonight doing well um so let's be clear the i said the the down the dh race is this weekend what are we when are we all tuning in is this is this finals is saturday night well the race is on sunday but it's in cairns australia and so because of dateline issues that I haven't quite wrapped my head around, we're watching the Sunday race on Saturday night. So uh, in mountain time, U.S. mountain time, uh, the women go off at 8.55 p.m., 8.55 at night, and then the men go off about an hour later at 9.55 uh, that is available to watch, at least in the U.S., on Red Bull. Uh, they're live streaming it, just like they do with most of the World Cup downhill races. Uh, so, yeah, you can tune in there. And uh, I don't think it's available to watch in every country, but there's a pretty long list of countries, and that list is available online. So you can make sure, if you're not in the U.S., uh, you can make sure that you can watch it on Red Bull. Going into this this men's finals, I mean, the big story and question is sort of Greg Menard versus Aaron Gwynn, correct? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So uh, Menard was in the lead for the World Cup overall going into the last race in Val de Sol a couple weeks ago. And so he was up on points. Gwynn was uh, nipping at his heels. And Menard had a... Uh, mechanical he had a flat tire catastrophic failure and he came in like i don't know 72nd or something like that in that race so gwyn beat him out in the overall uh and so i would imagine that minar has got to be uh looking to i don't know sal i was gonna say salvages season but that's maybe a bit harsh because yeah. minar had a pretty damn good season I mean, especially for for being the oldest guy in the field and still being right at the top of the game, he had a really good season. Yeah, yeah. But, let, wait, wait. Can we pause on that for a second? I mean, yeah. because Menar, he is how old now? Uh, I want to say he's thirty five. And I mean, aside from this mechanical, I mean, this has been an amazing season for him. No. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Menar, Menar is without question the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. He's been having a great season. <clears throat> He's on his uh, new 2.9er V10, Santa Cruz V10 downhill bike, and he seems pretty psyched on it, and he's been going fast on it, uh, except for his one practice run where it broke in half. But 
that could be blamed on an, uh, a post on the side of the trail. Uh, so, yeah, Menard's been having a killer season. Gwyn's been a little off and on. Gwyn didn't have the uh, smoothest start to the season. I guess nobody did with Lords, where weather played a factor. But, I, I mean, the long and short of it is that Gwyn, uh, he, he had some mechanicals too, but he's still going real fast this year. And he managed to come up and he took the win at the ra- last race in Val de Sol. And uh, that put him ahead of Minar in the points. So he took the overall for the season. But so now we're at World Champs, which is a, a singular race. Yeah. And it, it doesn't count towards the overall. And it's just who gets the rainbow stripe jersey for 2018. So uh, Danny Hartz, uh, he's in the jersey this year. So he's the defending champ. Um, but we're in Cairns, Australia, which is a pretty pedally course. Probably doesn't really play to Danny Hartz's strengths. Uh, but I think certainly both Minar and Gwyn are contenders. Um, the last time we raced at Cairns, I think Loic Bruni was uh he came out on top but he's had a a bit of a slow start to the season he had some injuries so he's been working back up to speed and and at val de sol the last race he was uh looking pretty fast um i forget what place he came in there but he was certainly top 10 um so yeah it'll be an interesting race because there's there's a lot of different guys that could be uh, strong contenders at this one yeah. uh, and, and you know that's kind of the season as a whole in any given race there's there's a few different guys that could uh could take it yeah so specific question <clears throat> if we if we were just talking about minar and gwen and you've got to bet a thousand dollars who are you taking just between those two just between those two, oh man! I mean, sitting here in America, I think I've got to go for Gwyn. <laughs> uh, you know, I've I've got to show at least a moderate level of patriotism here. But uh, man, I sure wouldn't put a thousand dollars on that race because I could you go think either. You think it's way tighter than that? I think it's way tighter than that. Okay, second question if you have to put a thousand dollars on this race so would you take either minar or gwyn or would you go with somebody else in the field if, if i'm putting a thousand dollars on this race i think i put it on mick Hanna. i think mm-hmm. i get slightly better odds with mick because he's uh you know he he's not traditionally a uh, top of the podium contender but this is his home turf he skipped Val de Sol the last race to uh, get some extra practice time in on this track. Hmm. He got the fastest time in time training today. And this has always just been a track that suits him. That guy is strong. He can rip bearings out of frames with brute strength. And this is a pedally track. And, and that he does really well in, in that specific situation. I mean, he's got parts of the track are named after him. Hmm. So, you know, that guy is a strong contender. I think last time we raced here, he was 
Uh, he didn't win it, but he was right up there in contention. So, yeah, I'm going to put my money on Mick Hanna, huh. and, and I'm expecting a handsome reward. <laughs> I think I would have to put 1000 on Gwyn. I think – I mean, he has – this has been the big thing, right? He hasn't won this this World Cup, correct? He's, he's never – he has never been world champ. Yeah. He – for a variety of reasons, some of which involve mechanical failures, he has just never pulled it off. Um, and so he's got to want it. I mean, he would say that he treats every race like a race and, you know, he, he tries to win every race that he goes to. And, you know, that's fair enough. But, uh, yeah, he's he's got a lot of – that rainbow striped jersey, he's never had it. Yeah. Hmm. It's going to be interesting. And then on the women's side, I mean, this is kind of equally as interesting. Um, Rachel Atherton, who has just obviously been so dominant, um, is dealing with injuries still, right? And yeah, had, yeah. had all shoulder season. Injury, shoulder injury back at Fort William that she's uh, still not quite come back from. I mean, she's she's a contender, to be sure. She, it's not like she's going slow. But she's not at the utterly dominant position that she was last year. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I think I'm. I'm. Given that I'm currently nursing an injury, I am rooting for her. Uh, I want to see because that's just badass. If she's like clearly not at a hundred percent and can still pull this off, um, that's a good story. And so I'm. She. I'm rooting for her. Now that's a crap story. So the story <laughs> that I'm rooting for is uh, Tracy Hanna to win mm. because I've got a thousand dollars on Mick, yeah, and then it's a, it's a brother sister uh, twofer. Well, but that's are a you, great story. Are you? That is a great story. That's no, that's a great story. If you are also putting a thousand on Tracy, I'm putting a thousand on Rachel. I mean, a thousand on Tracy. That's that's not a terrible bet. I'm just saying, if then then it's a great story. If you are coming in, putting a thousand on brother and sister. Wait, wait, wait! If I'm putting a thousand on brother and sister together, then that's like twice the bet, and so I get I get better odds on that. Because mm, then I'm is, betting on two races. Yeah, we're we're putting we're just talking about where we're placing our thousand dollars on the men's side and on the women's. I, okay, I'm you, granting you can have Rachel and G. And yeah. I will take Tracy and Mick, okay. and we'll see who comes out on top in the brother-sister duos here. Well, no, we're not doing – no, I've got Gwyn. I've got my thousand on Gwyn. Ah, that's weird. This is – this we've killed this podcast. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm going Gwyn men's, and I'm rooting for Rachel on the women's side. But I like I like it if you have the nerve to stick with – uh, Mick and Tracy for men. Second one, Mick and Tracy. We need to find somebody to take Tawny and Chaos. Yet another brother sister duo. Boy, yeah, yeah. There's a few fast families in World Cup DH racing. There are some fast families, huh? Okay. Well, anyway, we'll sort this out and see where we end up on our thousand uh, dollar bets. Um, but uh, it's going to be really fun, and I cannot wait to to watch uh, this and some of the other races um, this weekend. And um, anyway, thanks for uh, thanks for going over uh, some of the stuff on the DH side. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start making my list of things I'm going to do with the $1,000 that you're going to pay me. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, Noah, I'll talk to you later. All right, see you Bye. later. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Dave and Noah for the conversations, and of course to our strikingly handsome audio engineer, Justin Bob. We actually had a Blister Podcast listener suggest that we should solicit haikus from all of you on the topic of exactly how strikingly handsome J-Bob is, so we certainly encourage you to start sending in any and all haikus that J-Bob might inspire you to create. Till next time, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, and don't forget to become a Blister member to ensure that you'll get your copy of our upcoming 1718 Winter Buyer's Guide, Plus, get access to all of the flash reviews and deep dive comparison articles we publish on Blister. And get access to all of those exclusive deals we set up for Blister members. You can find information about that on the navigation bar where it says become a Blister member. And thanks for doing that. And we will talk to you next time. <laughs>